This is a kick in the grass with Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair on the Sportsnet Radio Network. What to expect from the final week of the transfer window. That's what's coming up here on a kick in the grass. Follow us on Twitter. I am at Dan Riccio underscore. He is at SN Jeff Blair. DMs are open. Send us questions for the show to our inboxes. We answer all of your questions in the injury time segments at the end of each show. If you are enjoying this program, then hit that subscribe button on your preferred podcatcher so that you never miss any episodes. We drop a new one each and every Monday, and we appreciate if you'd leave a review as well. Our guest will be new Chelsea midfielder Jesse Fleming, you know her from the Canadian women's national team as well. So look forward to her coming up later in the show. Jeff, what's going on? How you doing, Danny? Uh, I'm doing oh, all just right. Just wait, hold it. Hang on here. I just got called for a handball. Oh, come on. <laughs> Uh, you, you didn't even notice it as, as well. Like it, it was yeah, really. Right. I had my back to the plate completely. I was, just, I was reaching around to scratch my back, and I got I got called for a handball. Yeah. You know, I was I was actually one of those people that thought VAR was going to uh, be a good thing for the game. <laughs> I I mean, look, I was I I was with you on that. Um, you know, especially especially when it comes to offside. Uh, offside goals in particular, but in the way the game is played now, I just thought that any, anything that can help the linesman or anybody um, determine onside offside is fine. But yeah, it's uh, I, it's it's look, it's 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 taken away from the enjoyment of the game, and I don't think it's anything to do with with the team you cheer for necessarily. It's just. I, I don't know about you. I don't watch. I don't watch football to see an endless parade of penalties. Uh, I really don't. And um, but we can talk about that. We can talk about that later on in the show. Um, yeah, and there was a lot of uh, really uh, great reaction from from managers huh. around England. Uh, Steve Bruce, Roy Hodgson, Jose Mourinho was great. How he just walked off uh, at one point. Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer uh, was was pretty happy, but at the same time, I think even even the managers that benefited from the calls uh, weren't too happy with the way things played out. But uh, yes, we'll get to that a little bit later on in the show. Jeff, I do have a confession to make as we get ready for the final week of the window here. Uh, Football Manager 20 was available for free last week. Right. And uh, I, there is no easier way to just blow through hours in a day uh, with a good dose of football manager wheeling and dealing through the, the transfer window, sending guys out on loan so you can uh, get the few extra bucks on the wage bill to fit this new player in who's going to do absolutely nothing for you in the come of the season. But uh, that's, that's, uh, that's the fun of life. And that's kind of where we're at right now in uh, in the transfer window a lot of teams have uh, seen uh, their 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 squads play and maybe some aren't so happy with the way things are going I mean Manchester City wake up this morning they're like they're signing Ruben Diaz for over 60 million from from Benfica uh, and you know there's going to be a lot of transfer stories over the next week so what are the ones we want to see that's that's what we're looking at here and I mean the rumor mill is is heavy with a lot but what are some of the man, what are some of the moves you think need to be made in the last week Well need to be I mean I'll look from a pearly uh 
purely personal point of view, uh, after watching Manchester United, I, I desperately, and I, look, I've been, I think, pretty consistent about this all along. I don't care about Jaden Sancho. I really don't. Uh, not for this season. They need to get somebody at the back. They, they, they really need, along with about two other, two or three other big teams in the in the Premier League. Uh, they really need, I think, to get Kalidou, uh Koulibaly. And I know that Napoli's holding out for a lot, but my goodness, Dan, Dan to me, he's he's a guy that solves. He not only solves Manchester United's problems. Uh, in some ways, he saw he would solve Man City's problems, although it's a pretty far reach now that they've spent that much money on Diaz. And you know, the nuclear scenario for a lot of people is something the English press has been talking about for the last couple of days or so, and that's Koulibaly joining Liverpool. If you can imagine him and Virgil Van Dijk. Oh yeah, uh, anchoring anchoring that back line. But you know, I, I I don't know if there's another player out there right now that could. I wouldn't say single-handedly change the Premier League race, but come pretty damn close to single-handedly changing the Premier League race. And his addition would, I, I think, would give Manchester United a big boost and Man City as well. And, and if Liverpool is at all serious about him, I, I, again, uh, the combination of Allison and those two at the back with Robertson and, and Trent Alexander-Arnold, is there a better, is there a better back five in, in world football? I, I don't think so. I, it would be, uh, he, he definitely would change the Premier League race. If he shows up, on uh, Old Trafford's doorstep, or even uh, at at Stamford Bridge with Chelsea, uh, mm. what a difference right. it would make for either of those teams to get that player in the center of defense. But you, as a United fan, Jeff, like how do you feel about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer basically saying, "No, we're fine at center back." Uh, I, I don't know. I don't see what your guys' issue is right now. Like Victor Lindelof is is totally fine. I, I, don't, I don't see what the problem is here. Well, yeah, I think Ole's lying. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's no other, there's no other way to put it. His, I, I would argue, his best center back is Eric Bailly, and he's never healthy. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's it's pretty clear that Harry Maguire was an overpay. I mean, it's one of those overpays that won't come back to bite you if you make another overpay, right? And 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 stick somebody alongside him, which is, I think, where we are with United. You know, I, I I've I've taken this approach. The the Premier League has seen so many goals scored so far this season that I really think that the compressed time frame between the end of last, what was last season and the start of this season is really affecting a lot of teams. You know, yeah. and Manchester United played really hard down the stretch. So I am actually buying right now that what we are seeing is more a matter of just a team coming off a year where they were life and death to do what they did and had a very short break and is still trying to find their legs. So I'm, I, I'm willing to give Ole more time, but uh, yeah, they, they, they desperately need to address the issues at the back because those issues aren't going away. And those issues were there uh, last year as well. And I, my concern is that the improvement in United's defensive record after we came back from the break is really kind of glossing over some things. Because if you look at teams coming back from the break, there were a lot of teams that really didn't have a great deal to play for in the Premier League for the most part. 
So mm-hmm. I think that's a little bit of fool's gold there. If you're hanging your hat on, we were an improved defensive team coming out of the pandemic. Yeah, and Khalidou Koulibaly, uh, one of the big names still on the board with a week to go. Who would benefit more from, from Koulibaly? Uh, you, you mentioned Liverpool. I mean, they, they. I think that would pretty much just seal them the title, especially um, with Thiago already signing there and Diego Jota. But if he were to sign for United or, or Chelsea, who would benefit more from that? I mean, I really... I really think United would. Um, I, I think, th- let's put it this way. I think signing Koulibaly puts United in a position where they can, I think, challenge for second or third place in the Premier League. Uh, as much as I like Chelsea, adding Koulibaly, I don't think necessarily takes Chelsea up to that level based on some of the other things some of the other things we've seen from Chelsea. I think Koulibaly can basically solve all of United's issues. I think he would solve 99.9% of Man City's issues. I don't know. He would make Chelsea better, but I don't know if that's if that's all that Chelsea needs right now. I think Chelsea, I, we may have gone in a little too much on Chelsea. I think there's still a work in progress. I think, you know, Frank Lampard has to figure out just how much playing time he's going to give to some of his young guys, if any at all. And, you know, he, I, I am going to be, once this team gets fully healthy and fully up to speed, his rotation is going to be fascinating because, you know, from what I've seen, for example, early in this season, to me, Mason Mount has to be an ever-present. And that changes, I think, some of the playing time equation for some other players in that team. Yeah, Chelsea, um, it's only taken a few weeks, but people are already asking questions of Frank Lampard and if he knows how to use uh, all of the new tools he Mm -hmm. has in his tool shed. Uh, And those aren't going to go away until Chelsea starts winning some matches and does so convincingly, which they obviously did not do this weekend. I, I, I've got one that's uh, a bit of a reach, Jeff. Okay. And it's Philippe Coutinho to Arsenal from okay. Barcelona. Now, right. I, I, I love a, chan- a transfer that's got major boom or bust potential, and that's exactly what Philippe Coutinho represents. Um, he's got so much brilliance in him. I almost wish he never went to Barcelona when he left Liverpool, but I mean, money talks and the money that they were paying certainly uh, warranted Liverpool to say yes. And it, for me, it was always an odd fit at Barcelona anyways. And I guess that would fit at Arsenal as well, because where do you play him? Is he a winger? Uh, Do you play him underneath the striker? He's kind of a, he's a bit of a throwback player, right? A guy that plays Mm -hmm. in between the lines uh, and, and, and just kind of finds his way as a, as a number 10, but that's not really as present of a position in, in, in the game anymore. Um, but him going to Arsenal would give Arteta another another brilliant player at his disposal. I know that uh, Barcelona's holding out for uh, a fee and they don't want to send him out on loan again like they did to Bayern Munich. I don't know if Barcelona's going to end up having a choice because they just need to get money off the wage bill. But Coutinho to Arsenal for me, would be a brilliant signing, and really, it would push them really into the top four conversation. Yeah, and then, you know, and it's funny you mention that because watching Arsenal a little bit, the, the one thing that I that I think they still lack is 
they don't they don't necessarily have that midfielder I think who can kind of unlock the door for Alvin Yang and and for Lacazette Um, you know they've got a lot of they've got a lot of guys who are are great down the flanks Uh, I really like Saka I love the way they play Saka and Tierney and 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 the speed that they're getting down there but I look at a guy, and this isn't as well. I don't know if it's as sexy as as uh, Philippe Coutinho, but I look at a guy like Hasim Awar as mm-hmm. a, a type of guy who could come into Arsenal, chip in with a couple of goals, but more than anything else, be the guy that uh, that helps unlock unlock the door. I mean, he's a wonderful dribbler. Uh, he's got a, a really good. He's got a great sense of movement. Um, you know, he, he's, I think he would be almost the perfect guy to fit into to Arsenal. I, look, I've been an Arsenal right from the start, Dan. I think they're really on to something with, with Mikel Arteta. I really do. And, and Coutinho would, Coutinho would be fascinating. You're right. It has a lot of boom or bust, but I think an, an acquisition like Awar might sort of make even more sense for Arsenal, but there's no doubt. I think that early days and all that but the 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 two teams that i have my eye on in the premier league as being just to me eminently watchable are uh, liverpool obviously a great team but arsenal as well they're very easy on the eye and there's just so much pace in that team if they could get that guy to unlock things they would be they 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 would be pretty tough to beat our uh, is more in the, I guess, mindset of Arsenal, where he'd be a player comes for a couple of years and then they sell him on uh, mm-hmm. for a bigger a bigger fee. But he is definitely one of the most talked about young midfielders in the game right now. A uh, couple of more uh, for me: uh, Angolo Kante to Inter. Uh, I, I think him getting a uh, reunion with Antonio Conte would be a lot of fun. How many um, mile? How many kilometers per match would he cover playing for Conte? <laughs> at least ten k. You know, like just every every match he's running at least ten k. Uh, it would it would change the outlook of the of the Serie A season. I still think Certainly. Juventus uh, are are the team to beat. Inter is getting closer. They've had a pretty good summer. Uh, and Conte has had to uh, threaten leaving a few times just to get some of the moves that he's wanted. I don't know if it's even warranted, you know, bringing in guys like Kolarov at, what is he, 37 now? And, and same for Arturo Vidal. Are those guys really changing things? I don't know, but Conte would. And, you know, I, I, I think there's reason for Chelsea to, to let him go, too. I, I don't know if sure. he fits. I'm with you. I don't know if he fits well with Kovacic uh, at Chelsea. Lampard doesn't seem to know how to get the best out of out of both of them, and certainly hasn't really looked great for Conte since since Lampard took over. He's 29 now, so how much is is really left in the tank? And if you're ever going to sell him, if you're Chelsea at this point, now would be that time. Uh, and if Inter's going all in to try and stop Juve from from winning a tenth straight Scudetto, this is this is the transfer you truly try to 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 put the pressure on them. I think it's a great idea. Uh, I think it makes sense for for all three sides for Inter for Chelsea and for the player because you're right he uh, I I don't think I don't Frank Lampard I don't think knows yet how he needs to or how he wants to utilize the offensive players he has and I think as a result of that his use of Conte who is let's face it primarily a defensive player 
I think that's kind of that, that's that, that's been called into question. I think Frank's trying to find the balance, and I honestly don't think Conte gives you enough in the way of balance. And you're right. Also, he's 29. You know, if you're going to move on, if you're going to move him, now is the time. And he would. Like he in in terms of providing. In terms of being the engine room for Antonio Conte, he would be a terrific acquisition. As I said, Conte could just beat the hell out of him and have him run all day, and you know that Conte will do it. And uh, my final, uh, my final name on this list: Rodrigo De Paul to Leeds uh, from Udinese, and. DePaul, I think, is one of those brilliant players who's never really been given the platform to show just how good he is. Uh, diehard Serie A fans like myself have grown to appreciate him. Uh, 20 goals and 20 assists over the last three seasons for Udinese, and he's an Argentine international. Um, Leeds, I still wonder if they're going to have the goals to get into mid-table, maybe even upper mid-table. I know they've scored a ton. You're, you're not buying Patrick Bamford? <laughs> I'm not. I, I can read a few nice stories about Patrick Bamford. I don't. I don't know if he's if he's ready to lead my Premier League side. But DePaul is, you know, he's goal dangerous from midfield. Every team needs it, and I think Leeds certainly would get that from Rodrigo DePaul. Um, they've been asking for 40 million. Leeds is holding out, and it looks like they're going to settle for Michael Cousins uh, from Bayern instead. Uh, but uh, that would be the kind of um, attacking midfielder that I think Leeds and certainly Marcelo Bielsa would really benefit from if they're able to pull off that kind of a signing. And for me, that would solidify them as a mid-table team and, and potentially, you know, over the next couple of years, pushing into the European places. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I there's... Leeds are, Leeds are kind of an interesting case study because part of me thinks you keep the faith with the guys that got you through the championship, at least in your first year in in the Prem. I, mean, I, I think there's history that shows you can get not only get by doing that, but that you can have a certain amount of success with it. The problem to me always arises in the second year after you're out of after you're out of the championship and in the Prem. Because then I think you have to essentially you can't you 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 can't be afraid to to throw out your babies at that point, right? You may have had guys who were major contributors to getting you out of the championship, and they may have played okay the first year in the Premiership, but that's it. You have to move on from them. And I, I would be I'd be kind of reluctant right now if I was Leeds to bring in somebody that would necessarily upset things. Um, I, I, I'd rather see what I have right now, but, uh, you know, look, goals from midfield, especially the way the game is played now in the Prem, and especially given the fact that Leeds seems to be a little short in terms of, of strikers, it makes all the sense in the world. And it's it's going to be a fun final week of the transfer window. Always is. And uh, we'll be here for you next week uh, and getting you ready for it on October the 6th. Uh, but if you have any names that you want to throw out, and we'll talk about them a little bit on next week's show, at DanRicho underscore on Twitter and at SN Jeff Blair. So we talked about it a little bit off the top, Jeff, but the handball rule that is ruining the game there was and has been numerous 
instances over the last year that this is really starting to get out of hand. But with the changing of the rule and them deciding to try and make it so that it's uh, less subjective has really really taken a turn for the worse. And we had several cases. Uh, Crystal Palace, Roy Hodgson was not happy over the weekend uh, with the penalty that was handed to Everton, which ended up being the decisive goal in that match. I do not understand how we have allowed this rule to come into operation. For me, it's completely unacceptable. And I've got to be honest with you, it it certainly destroyed my uh, enjoyment of the game of football. I'm just disappointed that the result went against us in the way it did as a result of a a rule that we've now brought into football, which I think is killing the game. Steve Bruce uh, with Newcastle got a little bit lucky, and uh, even he said after their match that it was just a little bit uh, of a nonsense, Hmm. to say the least on how that all turned out when Newcastle was given a penalty late on against Tottenham and they end up drawing 1-1. It's a total nonsense. And look, we've got one today and we, we should be jumping for join through hoops, but I'd be devastated if it was against it. So maybe Roy's right, we have to all get together. We put the referees under this enormous pressure. Look, the handball rule has been around for years. And if it's deliberate handball, then yes. The decisions are just, the, the, they are, for me, ruining the spectacle. It was great for us today, of course, but we have to be brutally honest that not one or two of them will go against us. So I think we have to get together as, a, as the managers, coaches, wherever it is, to go to the Premier League and say, this, this must stop. Manchester United was given a penalty in the 96th minute, showing that uh, Ollie time has now replaced Fergie time. Uh, even even West Brom on Saturday, you know, Kai Havertz, I thought, inadvertently handled the ball uh, before Chelsea's equalizer late on. Um, there's just there's there's a lack of consistency. What is and what isn't uh, considered a, a handball penalty? There's way too many penalties being given. Um, what's what's the fix here, Jeff? Well, I mean, I don't know if there's a fix. Um, let's let's look at the numbers first of all. So far this year, we've seen six penalties uh, in the Premier League. There were 19 all of last season. And at this stage last season, there were no penalties awarded for handball in the Premier League. Okay. We know that the other European leagues had implemented, you know, the the new stricter interpretation of the handball law last season. Yeah, it was was a disaster. 50 penalties due to handball in the league, 60 in Serie A. It was a disaster in Serie A last year. Disaster. It was a, it was a disaster. Now, th- there's a couple of things at work here. You know, part of the problem is, and this is people who, in, in any sport, who demand video replay. You can get too forensic with video replay. Mm-hmm. And if it takes you four or five minutes to look at a play or even even three minutes to look at a play and make a decision and overturn it to me that's not that's not what the spirit of this is about and we've seen referees and i will give the referees credit we've seen referees finally using the pitch side monitor which was something i i just it 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 bothered me to no end that that wasn't being used last year but we're seeing referees use the pitch side monitor and that only seems to have increased 
the unhappiness with this rule. Look, I, I always thought the handball rule was simple, right? It, 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 it's, it's designed to prevent the use of the hand from stopping a goal or helping create a goal. That's the, the way I viewed it. Now we've gone, you know, the, the, new, the new technical definition of the rule is the hand and the arm is clearly away from the body and outside the body line. The player clearly leans into the path of the ball. The ball travels some distance. The ball touches <laughs> a hand or arm that is clearly raised above the shoulder. The player falls and the hand arm is extended laterally or vertically away from the body. A, def a deflection that clearly makes no difference to the ball touching a hand arm that is clearly extended away from the body, and et cetera, et cetera. This is the new law. There are six aspects to the new law. And good luck having, you know, you know good luck creating an environment where an in-game official can make a six-point decision in the flow of play like they it's they've unnecessarily complicated it and dan this is precisely what happens when you start bringing in video review it's like anything else you can slow every play down in every sport and probably find something wrong and Again, it's to me. It takes away from it takes away from the joy of the game. You know, there isn't a goal that's scored now. Where I, I don't wait. I don't know what you're like, but yeah. there isn't a goal that's scored where, where I don't. I, I mean, I, I've got to see. I've got to wait for VAR to review it. Yeah. Uh, and look, it's. I don't believe it's the type of rule that you know, impacts smaller clubs more than bigger clubs. I mean, that's an argument you always hear in England. I think that, I mean, I just think that's nonsense. But uh, in our desire to be as definite as we can, we've lost some of that randomness that makes sports. Like, we're, we're afraid of randomness in our sports now. We really are. We need, and the NFL is the worst at this. The NFL needs a definite answer to everything. I'm a sports fan. I don't need a definite answer to everything yeah. i'm okay arguing whether or not the ball was a catch or not or whether or not it was a handball i don't need a five minute video review to get that done and i do think it's i do think it's eventually going to be changed because it's like anything else you know as, as much as fans of other leagues may not like it if the crap hits the fan in the prem over something <laughs> it will be changed yeah it, and that's what happened this weekend. It's been happening through the first couple of weekends. But, you know, can, can the referees just be able to use a little bit of discretion? You know, like you, you're not going to make this rule black and white. And we've always wanted that. You know, there was always the complaints of how do you judge intent on, on a handball? Well, I know you what happened. You can't, you can't judge intent on a handball. And, and like, they, you, unless you get in a guy's mind. <laughs> you, can't, you can't conceivably judge intent. But you can tell when a guy's like really thought nothing of it and it's just happened, right? And that's exactly what, what went on with Eric Dyer this weekend. And that's exactly what happened to Joel Ward this weekend. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what? If, if a player's got his arm uh, in, in a weird spot and, you know, like, yes, you've got to be able to control yourself and not be reckless to the point that it is affecting the play. But nothing about what Eric Dyer did was unnatural, and certainly uh, Joel Ward did nothing unnatural uh, for Crystal Palace uh, on the weekend in that penalty that was awarded to Everton. It, 
it really just comes down to is the player handling the ball for an advantage and 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 that's where it's got to be decided and especially if you're defending in the 18 yard box and these are being given I mean, a penalty is as close to a, an automatic goal as, as you can have in the game, right? I think it's worth analytics-based. It's worth uh, three-quarters of a goal, like the mm-hmm. 75% success rate. So y- you're pretty much gifting the team a goal, and you have to be you have to be wary of that and how much it changes games and how much it changes the sport. And right now, um, I, I noticed it a lot last year in, in Serie A, and it was downright uh, driving me bonkers, Jeff, but now that it's happening in the Prem as well, uh, you're right. It's going to get more of a amplification, a megaphone on it to change the way that it was. But uh, at the same time, I did kind of like Jose Mourinho like walking off the stage. Uh. <laughs> okay, but I got to tell you this: when you saw yeah. that, when you saw that, now I know you, you, I know you love you, you love yourself, some Jose Mourinho. I know do that. The, but do we I get the all or nothing you. episode on this? Because that's what I want. <laughs> I, I, I have to tell you this, though. I don't care which club you're a fan of. You were aggrieved for him. I yeah. was, too. Because that is, again, that's just, it's not in, it, it's, it's just, it's not, it's not the football I grew up with. It's not, it's not the football I want to watch. I want to get to a point now where, you know, teams are practicing deliberately kicking the ball into the wall and hoping it strikes somebody in the hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, and, at, and at this point, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. Why wouldn't you? And if you're, if you're going to be given an automatic penalty, uh, guys are, guys are already doing that in some instances and it's going to continue to happen. So yes, uh, there definitely needs to be a fix here because the way that it's going right now is just not going to sit well and it's not good for the game. Um, so we'll see how this develops over the coming weeks. And hopefully it gets changed in the near term. Imagine a World Cup being decided on something like this, Jeff. Oh, <laughs> yeah, imagine. Uh, yeah, look, I, I don't I, I don't want to imagine it. <laughs> no, I, I really do think I do think it'll be changed. I really I really do think it'll be changed. And, you know, here's the thing, though. It When they change it, it better get it right. It better get it right. Uh, All right, final uh, thing before we get to Jesse Fleming, uh, Chelsea midfielder and Canadian women's national team. Uh, More shocking result of the weekend, Manchester City and their loss 5-2 to Leicester at home or Bayern Munich's 4-1 loss to Hoffenheim in the Bundesliga. I will say Manchester City's loss. Ooh, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. a, a, A couple of reasons. First of all, I watched the Bayern match they could have lost eight to one and I'm not kidding. It was a total system malfunction. Clearly, 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 clearly the worst matches team played it under Hansi flick. It was so bad that if I was a Bayern fan, I wouldn't worry about it. Like, that was a, that was a Halley's comment. It's not, it's not happening again. And, and credit Hoffenheim. I mean, they, they were balls to the wall the whole game, but it was just, you know, you just, rip that game up and throw it away if you're Bayern Munich. Man City, the result was a little more surprising for me in that it's one of the rare times in the Premier League that I've seen Pep Guardiola be roundly 
and soundly outcoached by his opposite number. And I, I think Brendan Rodgers took a look at what Arsenal did to Man City, saw how the low block worked against Man City, and essentially, and, and, and Brendan Rodgers said this after the match yesterday, he said, you know, for the first time, and I used, I did something I've never done in 12 or 13 years of coaching before. He threw the low block in, in place. It worked to perfection. And that made me think that that's probably a more significant result because that's twice now we've seen a team have success against Man City using that. And if Arsenal and Leicester can have success doing that, I think this is a real, real, I think this is a real flaw for Man City. And I, and I think it's a sign that perhaps a lot of us really, I don't know if we overrated Man City as, as much as we may have underrated Liverpool, but I think the gap between those two teams may be a hell of a, a lot more than we thought it would be. It's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Obviously, Man City still doing some business in the transfer window. Uh, their squad looked pretty thin uh, on the weekend. If you saw their bench, I mean, it was just a bunch of uh, a bunch of youth players, really, uh, just injuries and and lack of fitness plaguing that side as it is for many. But you're right. There is something to is Pep Guardiola being found out right now. And or have we seen him be finally found out? And there needs to be some evolution there uh, as a, as a manager. That's the big question that Pep is trying to answer now in his final year of contract mm-hmm. with Manchester City. But as for Bayern, uh, I, I I do side with you here in the sense of was it just was it just an off day? You know, they had the the Super Cup win on Thursday in Budapest against Sevilla, and they played into extra time. Uh, God, why does the European Super Cup have extra time? That's another <laughs> fascinating question. Um, but, you know, the travel, who knows, maybe they had a couple of pints after their win, uh, but they just they just looked out of it. You know, they didn't look in for it, and if anything, you know, given how much they've lost here in the window, losing Thiago and potentially losing Cuisance in midfield as well, uh, maybe this spurs on Bayern to to do some some of their work uh, in the window now, puts pressure on them to get a couple of incomings for this window and to push on through the Bundesliga season. They were so damn good last year, uh, but probably the best thing for them is uh, even Dortmund lost to Augsburg uh, on the weekend. Well, so I, I was going to say that to me is the most significant result of the weekend, even more so than Bayern Munich. Yeah. Uh, Dortmund losing to Augsburg. And by the way, if you look at the Bundesliga table, top three, Hoffenheim, Augsburg, Eintracht Frankfurt. <laughs> I think, hey, I think it'll good stick. Luck if you had, good luck if you had that in your, your Bundesliga bingo card. <laughs> uh, he is Jeff Blair. I'm Dan Riccio. We are a kick in the grass. Questions for the show? Well, you can send them through our Twitter accounts at Dan Riccio underscore and at SN Jeff Blair. Coming up, Jesse Fleming, now a pro. She's been around for a while, but she's now with the Chelsea Blues after finishing up her college career at UCLA. She'll join us next. It is a kick in the grass on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back in on a kick in the grass, Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair, Jesse Fleming, Canadian women's national team, and now Chelsea midfielder about to join us. And Jeff, 
Uh, I still remember uh, when when she debuted at 15 years old. It seems uh, so many years ago. Now seven years ago for Jesse Fleming. But um, this is this is one of Canada's truly truly young players that is uh, set to take them into the future. Yeah, it's you know I was thinking about this when when she signed with Chelsea and thinking about those of us who've covered Canadian women's soccer for such a long time, we've known that there is, you know, there's life beyond Christine Sinclair. And I don't think the rest of the world necessarily knows that. And I mean that with all due respect to Christine Sinclair, who's, you know, arguably one of our greatest athletes of all time, male or female uh, for that matter. But I think the rest of the world is now going to discover that there is a depth to the Canadian women's program and, and maybe most importantly, a clearly identifiable next generation of players that are going to carry Canada forward. She is Jesse Fleming, Chelsea midfielder, now joining us here on A Kick in the Grass. Thanks for this, Jesse. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for making time for us today. Uh, so from London, Ontario to London, England, how is it? <laughs> uh, it's been good. Um, still kind of in the process of, I guess, adapting to, to a new city and a new team, but um, yeah, I've been enjoying it so far. So how 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 was the move? Um, you finish up at UCLA and and here you are now with Chelsea. How's how's it been? Uh, you still a little unsettled? Um, yeah, I don't I don't know if I'd say unsettled. I think it's just kind of getting used to a new environment. You know, I I came from a place where I had, uh, you know, made some pretty tight friends over my time at UCLA. So. Um, I think getting into a new team and a new environment is always is always a bit of chal- a bit of a challenge, but um, the group has been fantastic. Just between the staff and players, everyone's been super friendly, and and yeah, it's it's been a good good start to to the next couple years for me. Yeah, and it's uh, I mean obviously strange, unprecedented times as we we keep telling each other, but uh, moving during COVID and 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 starting a new life in a, in a new place that that can't really be all that easy either yeah it's it's a bit of a weird time to be exploring uh, a big city like london just because i'm you know hesitant to to be going out and in you know public places so i've kind of been um spending a lot of time in my apartment and um yeah just just finding local spots i guess but yeah like you said just kind of a wacky time to be to be in a new place it's uh, it, it is crazy. I mean, it, it feels like uh, I've been watching you forever, uh, and yet uh, you've just turned pro here after making your national team debut at 15 years old. Um, I mean, it's been quite the journey. How how would you describe the last five seven years? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, like you said, it's it's been quite the journey. It's uh, hard to believe that it's been that long. That makes it sound like it's been a long time. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of just been gradual growth over, over quite a few years and, um, I guess just bouncing around to different environments, but ultimately, um, you know, going to places to, I guess, you know, improve my game. And, uh, I've been fortunate enough to be able to, to travel a bit and, and also kind of improve myself as a person. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just been a lot of gradual growth and evolution of myself as, as a player and a person over the last little while. So, um, I'm, yeah, I mean, I just, I feel very lucky to be where I am and, you know, at the club I'm, I'm at and just to have the opportunity to, to be in these environments. 
must have been a pretty crazy debut. You win the Community Shields uh, after making your first appearance. Uh, how was how was all that? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have to do very much in that game, but I think <laughs> just as an introduction to the club and, um, you know, watching some of my teammates perform at that level, um, just just a really exciting way to, to start my time here. First impressions of, uh, of the Super League? Uh, I mean, it's been good so far. I think, you know, obviously there's been a lot of a lot of players come over from North America and, and other countries uh, in recent months. So um, I think I'm just excited to, to be in a league with a lot of, you know, top players and to be able to learn from those players and, and play against them. Going from UCLA to uh, now pro, um, how how is that transition and, and, and the jump uh, from, you know, being a student athlete to to now this officially being your career? Yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely a jump, um, definitely a, a different environment, and I think just a different level. Um, you know, I think almost every player at Chelsea plays on a national team, so I think just the quality in, in, our, in our environment and the experience um, kind of puts the football at a higher level, and, and that's what I wanted was – to be challenged. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a step up from the NCAA. Um, but again, like I said, that's what I wanted and, um, just happy to be in a good environment. Have you, uh, linked up with any of your Canadian teammates? Uh, I know Adriana Leon is with West Ham. Uh, there's some others around the league as well. Uh, yeah, well, uh, Janine Becky came down, uh, and we hung out a little bit a couple weekends ago and, um, been trying to organize lunch and coffee with uh, Shalina and Dree, hopefully next week. So, yeah, it's it's been really nice to to have some Canadians uh, so close when I'm so far away from home. So that's been a big bonus uh, of being in England. I know you've talked a lot about playing hockey while you were younger. Um, how do you think, you know, your experiences playing multiple sports while, you know, growing as, as an athlete, how, how has that helped you on the pitch? Yeah, I've actually gotten asked this question uh, quite a few times in recent years. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very um, Canadian question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, yeah. Um, I don't know. I think, I think for me, especially, you know, playing sports with boys and kind of always chasing after my older brother and, and competing with uh, boys growing up um, you know I think probably taught me a little bit of that gritty Canadian spirit um, that I think comes out in our athletes a lot um, but then I think also being a smaller player just having to learn that sort of vision and awareness aspect and um, adapting my game so as not to to get body checked against the boards or you know applying that to football just being able to play against players who are physically, you know, faster and stronger than me and uh, finding a way to, you know, still be able to navigate the game. How's the program at, at Chelsea? I know there's, there's obviously big ambitions at a big club like that. And um, how, how do you see, you know, this first year playing out for you and, and where, you know, your career goes over the next two, three years? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, uh, you know, I've said this before, but I think I wanted to be in an environment where I was going to be challenged. Um, and by no means would I be the best player. Um, you know, I think for me, watching and, and training and learning from other players who are at the top of their game um, was a big part of what I wanted. Looking at 
going into a pro environment. So um, right now, I think, you know, I'm just going to training every day and trying to find the little things that are going to tweak my game and take me to the next level and really just leaning into the experience. Um, and yeah, I think hopefully that'll translate to improvement over the next couple of years. And, um, you know, hopefully I'll be able to, to help out Canada and kind of continue to raise the bar for, um, you know, what it means to be a Canadian midfielder. It's, uh, it's been a strange year, as, as we all know, um, but uh, the, the Canadian national team, there was the Olympics that were supposed to be on hand, and now that's been pushed to next summer. Um, what exactly um, is going on with the national team right now? I know moving on from Kenneth Heiner-Moller uh, as, as manager, but um, what's, what's the latest with the national team and, and how that's going to shake out as, as there's a lot of preparations for next summer? Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, it's it's been a very odd year. So, um, you know, we've been connecting in remotely, and for a while we were doing uh, workouts as a group uh, on Zoom. But I think that's that's kind of slowed down a little bit as everyone's gotten back into their own separate pro environment. So, um, I think the communication is still there, and right now we're we're kind of we're kind of waiting on a few things as well. So I think a lot of the players are keen for the next time we'll, we'll be able to get in camp together. But I think a lot of it is dependent on, you know, what's going on in the world right now. So, um, but yeah, patiently waiting for, for the next time we'll get to play together. Yeah. It's uh, interesting times ahead. Uh, is, is, is there been anything surprising about your move to, to London and, and how you've, you've got on? I mean, is there something that you've uh, kind of linked to uh, really early on here, a favorite coffee spot or something like that? Uh, there's there's lots of good parks uh in the area uh i'm close to in london so i think i've been been grateful for you know the opportunity to get to go and, and sit outside and i don't know yeah there's just lots of good outdoor space to to explore which i wasn't wasn't aware that that was a feature of london so um but yeah i'm, I'm excited going forward hopefully i'll be able to find some good spots in the city Jesse, it's uh, it's been a pleasure getting to talk to you today. Uh, all the best uh, with Chelsea this season. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. There is Jesse Fleming, Canadian women's national team and Chelsea midfielder. Coming up next, your questions. We close out the show with injury time. That's next on A Kick in the Grass. Final segment of a kick in the grass. Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair. An update on our fantasy Premier League. Uh, Jeff is still having a uh, rough start to the season. So, <laughs> lot, lot, lots of time well, no, to yeah. make it up. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I've already, I've already used my wild card. So, uh, yeah, lot, lots of time. You, you keep thinking that. Well, come on. I mean, I, I, I you know, the biggest problem. And, and, and I think I realize I shouldn't say the biggest problem, but the thing that is going to tell the tale, I think, in everybody's fantasy league this this season is who you captain, because so many goals are going to be scored. Right. Yeah. We, we already know that so many goals are going to be scored. And it, I mean, my God, if the if the uh, if the handball rule stays in place, you know, <laughs> I, I don't even want to think of how many goals are going to be scored. So the toughest decision and the biggest decision 
is going to be who you captain. Like I captained De Bruyne this week. You're yeah. you're going to have to luck out and hope that the week you captain Pierre Emerick Aubameyang is the week he gets three goals, and it isn't the week that Timo Werner gets three goals. Yeah, just uh, have as many penalty takers in your squad as as you as you possibly can find. Uh, but uh, for the winner this week, uh, well, let's start with last week. Didier Pogba, managed by Bill Gilmar, had a massive 110 points. Well done to Bill, masterfully pulling the strings from his keyboard. And Extremadura UD, so far the leader of the week with 47 points, thanks to Jamie Vardy's hat trick. So shouts uh, to the latest week winner in our Fantasy Premier League. And again, the invites uh, to join the league, the code PPIBD6, uh, if you want to get in a few weeks in. Winner each week gets a shout-out here on A Kick in the Grass. All right, injury time. We're ready here for it. Uh, Jeff, you got a question coming in at Blair on Twitter. Yeah, it's from... We, we, we maybe touched this a little bit, but it, it's from Morrison, London. I presume that's London, Ontario, uh, asking if, if we, I guess soccer fans, whether or not we have overrated Man City and underrated Liverpool. And he sent this in, I noticed, about an hour after Leicester City, uh, Leicester City thrashed, uh, <laughs> thrashed Man City. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, look, I, I, I talked about this uh, a little bit in the previous segment, and you did as well. I, I, Pep Guardiola, to me, has, has outcoached. And he, I, I will grant it, he didn't have a healthy Gabriel Jesus. Well, he never has a healthy Gabriel Jesus for the most part. Sergio Aguero wasn't healthy. So... And, and we've already talked about their their well documented uh, well documented issues at the back. Um, you know, I, I wonder too maybe if if we've underestimated the absence of David Silva to this team as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and yeah, I, look, I I'll, if Morris, if you want me to say that this early in the season, I feel that I've overrated Man City and underrated Liverpool. I can't argue against it against that suggestion Danny I just can't I, I don't I don't want to say that I underrated Liverpool uh, I, I I definitely was of the mind that Liverpool needed some upgrades and they just needed to freshen up the squad and the opportunity to get Thiago was going to be too good to pass up they did that eventually after haggling over the fee and they end up spending it after you know that that opening match against Leeds kind of scared them a bit. They go out and, and make that move. And now you feel a lot better about Liverpool. But Man City, I think what will come of Man City and Chelsea and even Manchester United, especially for Man City and, and Chelsea, though, is how quickly do their new players come together and and gel? And, and so far, we're not seeing it happen. Um, and for Man City, like it, it's not going to take 100 points to win the Premier League this year. You know, uh, uh, Liverpool isn't going to be that good. Man City's not going to be that good. Um, I think there's going to be a lot less consistency in their games than we've seen in either of the past two seasons. So I'm not willing to write off Manchester City just yet. Uh, but 
I am maybe willing to say Leicester City might be better than I thought they were uh, after after that performance uh, from the weekend. Uh, Mark on Instagram, what's happened to Mario Balotelli and will we ever see him in MLS? Uh, well, Balotelli is, uh, I think he signed with Genoa this weekend in the Serie A for a one-year contract after being a, a cast-off with Brescia. But I can't think of a player I would more want to see in, in MLS than Mario Balotelli, Jeff. Why don't the Whitecaps get him? <laughs> I mean, they need something. Well, no, uh, that... listen, I, I, I'm, I'm serious, Dan. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I don't know what he's – I don't know what he's got. I don't know what he's got left. But – Yeah. Uh, and I don't know I don't know where his head is. You know, for the life of me, I don't know why he would still be playing in Italy. He seems – terribly unhappy there you know he seems the subject of of non-stop racial abuse there and i think it's almost to the point where it's not just racial abuse it's it's uh it, it's it's personal abuse that happens to be racially tinged and i just don't think that he's i i don't think that he is going to be able to find happiness there for the life of me i don't know why i don't know why he just doesn't pack up and come over here i i i, I really don't you know, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, honestly, it's it's terrible the way that he's been treated in Italy. It's uh, terrible the way that his career has gone uh, as well. So much talent. I mean, who can forget Euro 2012, the, the match mm. he had against Germany? Uh, it's uh, definitely, it's almost a decade ago. So <laughs> I guess uh, we're, it's right to feel like it was so many, so many years ago. But you mentioned the Whitecaps, and uh, that's where our final question comes. It's Peter who says, is it time for the Whitecaps to change managers again? Um, the Whitecaps need an infusion of excitement, Jeff. Mario Balotelli would provide that. I think a lot of players could provide that. But whatever it is they're doing, it is not working. Um, having covered MLS now for a lot of years... And seeing the bloody big deal and, and what it did in, in with Toronto FC and how even though it blew up, it got people to notice them again, which mm -hmm. is what was desperately needed at the time. And right now for the Whitecaps, they are in a very similar spot. And what I sense from a lot of soccer fans in this city, the honeymoon period is over. I know 2011 was... You get the MLS team. You feel good about things. There's a couple of good years in there. Uh, you had Alfonso Davies, but uh, this team is really battling against apathy right now, Jeff. And it's it's pretty scary how how far out of the minds of sports fans they are here in Vancouver right now. You know, they lose to Portland last night. Uh, Their loss midweek to LAFC six nil only got headlines because of how poor they were in that match. But they are very similar to 2012-2013 TFC where they're only getting headlines for how bad they are and nothing else. I, for the life of me, can't figure out how this isn't one of the model franchises in MLS. It's a great city. It's got a really well-established... I mean, I, I think it's the soccer capital of the country, frankly. It has been throughout, you know, throughout most of my life. It's, a, mm -hmm. it's where a lot of players have come from. So it's got the culture. It's got the fan base. Danny, there's no reason that that shouldn't be one of the Cadillac franchises in MLS. There, there, there just isn't. And, and yeah. I, I think it's, I, I think it's a, I think it's a real shame 
because, you know, as much as Montreal Impact and Toronto FC is fun, man, if you had white caps in Toronto FC and it was a real rivalry, you'd have the whole East West thing. Uh, I just think that would make a huge difference. It would. And uh, to answer your question, Peter, I don't think it comes down to the manager. The uh, problems at uh, the white caps are much deeper rooted and they are involved higher up with uh, somewhat absentee ownership. Uh, that needs to take a more hands-on approach, I think, of how this is getting done and where the problems lie within the club. Uh, but that'll do it for this week. Um, oh, hold it. Before you go, Dan, we got it. We got it. We got to mention one thing. We okay. have to mention one thing. Maybe You're changing the, the handball tweet... rule. <laughs> no, no, no. Maybe the tweet of the year came earlier this week from Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who not only announced... <laughs> on social media that he tested positive for COVID-19 but credited COVID-19 for having the courage to <laughs> come to him and invade his body only Zlatan would do that calling uh, out the courageous COVID-19 virus for daring to attack the lion I just think it, it was it, it, it is the, the best tweet of 2020 COVID had the courage to channel, challenge me bad idea <laughs> uh, we'll end off the show on that note yeah Zlatan does it again for the win uh, we miss him in MLS that's for sure Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair get your questions in at Dan Riccio underscore and at SN Jeff Blair we'll talk to you next Monday on a kick in the grass